Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Sunday morning, and we're going to start talking about prophecy. Not the office of the prophet. But prophecy. In 1 Corinthians, you're already there. Look at uh, chapter 12. Um, At the very end of chapter 12, verse 31... He shows you your heart, the heart that you ought to have about all of these manifestations. Alright? He says, earnestly covet the best gifts. Um, Covet is literally to pant for, to have a burning desire or a zeal for. And the word covet is interesting because covet means to have a burning zeal and desire for something that's not yours. So you covet to have all of these manifestations present in your life. You need to have a hunger and a burning desire to see these things manifest in your life. They're not going to come if you're not full of zeal and hunger for it to happen. Um, That needs to be in your heart more than anything. To be zealous in pursuit of and destroy and to strive after. Um, And the word best is literally the word that means the most fitting or applicable at the moment. Okay? The word best there in the Greek literally means the most fitting and the most applicable for the moment. So what you need to do is go after and hunger after all of these manifestations and specifically, what do I need in this circumstance when I'm ministering? That's what you should hunger for at the moment. Um, And that doesn't preclude any of them. That means all of them are available and you should be running after all of them. Okay, look now at um, chapter 14. He's already stopped right here in the middle and said... All of these operate. All of these are empowered by your faith. But faith works by love. Your faith can't even work unless you have an absolute confident faith in the love of God for you. Not your love of God for Him, but His love for you. That's what what engenders faith. When you believe that God loves you beyond measure, and desires the best for you and desires the best for this world and desires to see you minister in power and desires to see his name put forward when you have your complete trust in that kind of love then the love that manifests through you the fruit of the spirit that you bear because you sure can't bear do it yourself looks like 1 Corinthians 13 
when you begin to bear that fruit of love that looks like 1 Corinthians 13, all these manifestations are wide open to you. And then he says in verse 1 after that, so he says, this is what empowers them. In Galatians, um, I think it's uh, maybe 2.20. Let me just look real quick. Maybe it's Galatians 5.22. But hold on. Um... Well, it's still not what I'm looking for here. So, Okay, it's Galatians 5, verse 6. Okay, and, then this, and this is what it says in Galatians real quick. For if we are in Christ Jesus, why does it... Christ Jesus. It's if you are in the anointing power of the Holy Spirit that comes from Jesus. Christ Jesus. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accounts for anything but only faith activated, energized, expressed, and working through love. The only faith that works, that's activated and energized comes to us because we trust with every fiber of our being the love of God for us. That's where faith is. Okay? It's not just faith in a word. It's faith in the love of God behind the word. You know, if if God didn't love us, you couldn't trust His um, you couldn't trust His um, His faithfulness to fulfill the word. You have to trust His love for you in order to trust Him enough to believe that all the promises are yes in the Bible. Um, that's why the church is so weak because we, we don't really trust the full love of God for us. We, we, we talk more about our love of God for Him and how, you know, how far short we fall rather than how far God's love reaches past what we can do for ourselves. And um, so we're trying to gin up our faith in the Word without truly trusting in the love of God. And, and when we get one ahead of the other, nothing works. So that's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, none of this is going to work unless you are producing fruit. That means your, your roots have to be deep in the love of God you have to be drawing up the love of God. You you have to look like that. Love, joy, peace, you know, patience, kindness. All those things have to be produced in you. You can't gin those up, believe me. The only way you're ever going to look like Him is to produce that fruit. And the Holy Spirit is a fruit producer. But you just have to stay in the love of God. Okay. Once you get there, he says, look at verse 14, 1. Follow after love and desire. There's that word again, to, to burn with zeal for spiritual manifestations. But rather, in other words, above all of them, because that phrase, but rather, is um, the, the phrase means to a greater degree, 
and more readily. That's what it means, okay? Malon, and it means to a greater degree or more readily. So it's follow after love and desire spiritual manifestations, all of them. But to a greater degree, follow after and hunger and thirst for ability to prophesy. Because it's really important. He that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he that prophesies speaks to men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But he that prophesies edifies the church. Um, when people bring forth a word of God to the body, it could be from one person to another. It could be from God to yourself. Whenever a person brings forth just a word from the Lord, there will be an anointing on it. And you will, those words will hit you in a way that just normal conversation won't. And um, that word will be transformative in some way where someone just speaking out of the top of their head will not be. And so you want to desire that that be available because everywhere you go you're going to run into people who need it. People who need to hear a word of prophecy. It isn't hocus pocus. It isn't mind reading. Okay? It is God having something to say to somebody. I sort of ran into that um, last night. I was at Teen Challenge at the jail and um, there was a young man there who had just started playing the piano and um, they had so many gifted musicians up on that mountain it's amazing to me but this young man had just started playing the piano and um, um, he just had so much praise and worship and we haven't had anybody play the piano in the chapel in a long time and he he sat down and just played and I I, I just felt like the Lord was telling me you know to tell him to give God his hands give God his heart and God would anoint that music and change lives and um, I said that to him and it just hit him he chewed on that for an hour and after the first service he came up and he said I have to ask you about that because it seems like God's been saying that to me for a while and I said well then that's just confirmation you know but it was the Lord told me to tell him that so I did but I think it was because he was looking for confirmation from somebody that he wasn't hearing it just imagining something that God was really saying that that prophecy was important to that young man it wasn't important to me you know, and, and it wasn't important to anybody else there, but it was important to him. And we need to be wide open to be able to share that. Um, again, at the end of chapter 14, at the very end of chapter 14, look at verse 39. Again, Paul says it. Therefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. And forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. He says, go after with a burning zeal the ability to hear a word from God and then speak it. You can be speaking to a whole body of believers or you can be speaking to one person. Um, <clears throat> when the original church would get together in the book of Acts, 
they didn't have a preacher and they didn't have a choir director and they didn't have um, song books okay they just entered into praise and worship and in the praise and worship they would just come into the presence of God the Holy Spirit would fall you might have three or four people stand up and prophesy. Maybe you would have a called teacher who would stand up and teach. Maybe you had a called preacher who would stand up and give a message. But it was always the people ministering to each other. It wasn't somebody leading an audience. Lean to the left, lean to the right, stand up, sit down, bye, bye, bye. You know. It was not that kind of a church service. Everybody was flowing. And... Um, you, you just turn it over to the Holy Spirit and let him go and when he was done he was done and you think well that's kind of scary but um, he's a reasonable God he's not going to keep you till well maybe he'll keep you till 5 in the afternoon but chances are he won't but you know if we would let him go and just, just let him have a service it's amazing we, we do that on Monday night we just let him go we have no plan on Monday night we just let it go and somehow we get done, don't we? We just finish up. and um, But you never know what's going to happen. And we start off with praise and worship because that's how you get in. Enter the gates with thanksgiving and into his porch with praise. And you start with praise and worship and then you just let him fall. And when he falls, things happen. You know, um, when the spirit falls, things happen. Okay. So when you're speaking... A word of prophecy. You're either edifying, that means building up, promoting growth within somebody or within the body. Exhorting, and um, this word kind of bugs me because people who want to beat other people up with the Bible, um, hellfire and damnation preachers say, I'm an exhorter. But the word exhort means to encourage to stir up, to implore. It doesn't mean to curse and wear down and beat up with your words. So when you're exhorting somebody, you're encouraging them. Come on, you can do this. Stirring up an excitement in them. But you're not the one stirring up the excitement. God is the one. You release that word. What do you know about the word? It affects everything around you. And the words that you release that are full of that anointing will do exactly what God intends them to do. Whether it's exhort or stir up or whether it's to promote growth in a person. That's really, that isn't even your determination. You don't say, I'm going to speak a word to somebody to encourage them to grow up. God says, that person needs to grow up. I got a word for them. And then it'll come right out of your mouth and do exactly what God intended it to do. But you have nothing to do with it. You have nothing to do with it. God is determining how that word will be used. God determines what anointing is on the word when it comes out of your mouth. Um, and comforting. You know, sometimes you don't even know what to say, but your mouth opens and whatever comes out, you have no idea. And somebody will come back to you years later and say, do you remember that day when you told me? And I'm going, mm, no, I don't remember that. But it meant so much to them because it was a word from the Lord that just came right when they needed it, you know. And um, so you and I, in our own understandable tongue, are called to do that. It's a word from God that doesn't originate in your conscious thought. It does not come from your conscious thought. If you try to gin up something from your conscious thought, you're going to get in the ditch in a hurry. 
Do not do that. But it comes from the center of your imagination. In other words, the thought will just come from the back of your mind somewhere. Okay? It's not going to be something you're going to go, hmm, I think that person needs to, you know, be encouraged. I'll just go tell them to be encouraged. No, that's coming from the front. From the back of your mind, you'll hear, tell this person that I love them. Tell this person the storm is about to end. Tell this person. And then you just say it. You say, the Lord is telling me to say this to you. Whether it means anything, I don't know. This is what he says. And then let God do what he does with it. Okay? That's the way it works. But it comes from the back. Sometimes you'll just get a flash of a thought. You don't even get the whole thought. You just get a flash of the thought. But when you open your mouth to speak, then the rest of it comes out. You might just start speaking and then all of a sudden you realize that God has more to say and you'll just keep saying what comes into your thoughts from the back of your head um, until he's done talking. It comes as a supernatural flow of grace. It makes use of your imagination, your mouth, and your voice. But, and you have to do the speaking. He's not going to come over you like a puppet and, and zone you out or inhabit your body like an alien and speak through you like a demon-possessed person. You're just you. But God's giving you a thought that you need to share with somebody else. That's prophecy. Okay? And it might be that you prophesy in the whole body and sometimes it's just, like I said, one or two. Okay, it is not foretelling. It's not speaking of the future. It is telling forth. Speaking what comes to your mind that God wants to, say, to hear, people to hear. Okay. It isn't preaching or teaching. However, a preacher or a teacher might prophesy. It's not the office of a prophet, but it's the manifestation of grace that's meant to build up and encourage the body. Okay? Um, go to Acts 21. Paul delineates this really well in this story. Acts 21. Okay, um, I think they're in Caesarea here. But start with verse 8. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. Okay, Philip, the one who is a called evangelist. Listing some of the um, offices in the church. Philip is filling the office of an evangelist, which was one of the seven, and he abode with him. So this is the Philip in the first seven that were called to wait tables, okay? And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy, okay? So he had four daughters who would often manifest in the body the ability to prophesy, okay? And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. 
Okay, now Agabus is standing in the office of a prophet. The other young ladies would often prophesy in the body, you know, at church services. That manifestation would flow through them a lot. But Agabus is called to the office of a prophet like Philip is called to the office of an evangelist, okay? Agabus is not going to speak a word to encourage or to edify or comfort Paul. But Agabus is going to tell about the future. That's how you know that he is in the office of the prophet. And when he was come to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What do you mean to weep and break my heart? I, am I not ready to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus? So when they heard what was coming, everybody in the flesh panicked, but not Paul. That was a confirmation to Paul that he was in the right place. Paul had a confirmation there that he was going the right direction. Because God says, you're going to go to Jerusalem. And there you're going to be bound. Well, he was, but he didn't die there. It was a long time later that he eventually died in Rome. But um, he said he was going to be bound there, okay? In Jerusalem. And um, taken where he didn't plan to go. Well, God planned for him to go and preach to Caesar, which he did. You know, but that was God's plan and Paul knew it. And Paul was confirmed in that word where everybody else was scared in that word. The anointing wasn't meant for everybody else. The anointing on that word was meant for Paul. Okay? But but that man was speaking forth. He he spoke in the office of the prophet. Where these daughters, Philip's daughters, just prophesied in the body in general, would speak a word from the Lord in general. They could hear the Lord very clearly. Okay. The prophet is on a higher level and his message has more of an anointing and more of a revelation on it. But you and I, when we prophesy, we're just pouring out what God is giving to the body for the moment. Um, In Colossians, go to Colossians chapter 3. What's it close to? I lost my tab. Girls eat potato chips. So it's Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's a baby book. (laughs) It is a baby book. Chapter what? Um, We're going to chapter 3. Um, start with verse 12. Therefore, oh, put on therefore, as the elect of God, 
holy and beloved bowels of mercy and kindness and humbleness of mind and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity. In other words, clothe yourself in the love of God. Produce the fruit of love, okay? Which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Gives you a very brief snapshot of what it would have looked like um, at one of their services when they gathered together. They um, sang hymns and spoke psalms and um, admonished one another, teaching things, um, preaching things, admonishing, encouraging. All those things were going on in one meeting. So you were getting a well-balanced diet on your plate for the day. Um, Now you think, okay, I don't know psalms other than the ones in the book. And I, you know, I don't know hymns. I mean, we can just sing hymns if you want. But but there is also an intention here that you allow the Holy Spirit to speak those psalms and hymns through you. Look at David. Look at Asaph. Look at Moses. Um, those psalms are still around because they have an anointing on them. Those were prophecies. Not necessarily a foretelling but an anointed word from God for the time for those people. And that anointed word for the time fits so many of our own situations today. The anointing from that is still on those psalms. You read those psalms and the anointing can affect your life directly because they're powerful. When you begin to just praise God, sometimes it comes out like that. You know, you it doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to, you know, make sense to you. But um, a lot of times it'll happen. There are people in the body who can sit down at a piano and begin to play, and they they write the music as they as it just comes out of them. It pours out of them. Um, Julie True is one who you can buy her albums, but there have been people in this church who have been like that who can just sit down and all of a sudden words just come out of their mouths and and beautiful songs and music, you know, because they flow in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you've never experienced it, you should. It is is really amazing. Um, We've had, um, in the past, um, we had a a lady, she's actually called um, Apostle. That's, That's her office. She travels all over the world. She's from Australia. And uh, she actually, the last time she was here, she sang prophecy over this church and over the people that were present. She sang it all. And it was breathtaking. It was beautiful. Um, But you just, you never know what's going to come, you know, out of that. All you need to know about it is, is if you trust the Lord and let it flow, 
is absolutely awesome. Um, and really, that's what... Um, that's how the church ought to be. And I, I, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but I have a soapbox. And um, <clears throat> um, the Lord showed me a long time ago. I, I have a, I wrote it down somewhere. I don't know if I've, I've still got it out here, but um, some years ago, you know, he was saying to me, um, the church has it wrong about prayer. Um, the church thinks that prayer is the undergirder for what goes on in the church. That, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's the strength and the power. And God said, that's not true. It is not. It is the engine that drives the church. It is the warfare. It is the battle. It is the hard work. When the church goes out in ministry, it's like sending the people out after the war's won to gather up the spoils. What the church does in the flesh is gather the spoils. But the battles are won in the spirit realm in prayer. That instead of making church services all important, prayer service ought to be, prayer time ought to be, you know, that ought to be the place where the work, the true work of the church is done. And um, I'll see if I can find that in a minute and I'll read it to you, what he said to me. But... Um, Wigglesworth said it like this about prophecy. He said, Thoughts of power from the Holy Spirit are from above. Human thoughts are like clouds that belong to the earth. Um, so we want to be sure that we are listening to God and that we are um, pressing in. Um, Let's see. I always keep these. I just grabbed a bunch of them when I walked out the door. And I... Um, some of these go back to 1975. But, you know, I... Um, um, Well, I'm not finding the one that I'm thinking of. I'll see if I can find it this week and bring it in. But, um, let's see. I'm not finding it. I thought I had it, but I don't. Okay. Let me just read you a couple. Um, these two came in 2005 and I was laboring because Bill was you know head stream closed life is over and um, so I was really careful to write everything down this was August 12th he said I want your total and undivided love and I want your total and undivided attention and obedience your heart's divided and your eyes are on earthly things your focus is on earthly solutions to fleshly problems I can't work in the flesh my things are spirit and life Seek me first in my kingdom and you'll find your answers in me. My heart never changes towards you. I love you and do you good. It's your heart that has changed. You, um, um, you dwell on your circumstances of life more than you dwell on me. Dwell on me and all will be well. Where are you spending your thought time waking and sleeping? Let it go. 
Live every day in me. Take no thought for tomorrow. I have that in my hands. You've had such a stranglehold on the things of the world. You've allowed the kingdom to slip away from you. Let it go. What I have said I will perform. Take hold of the things of the kingdom with a strong hand. Um, so that flesh and worldly kingdoms slip away from you. Then life and peace will replace fear and death. Blessing drives out cursing as a flood washes away strongholds. Um, so that was August the 12th, 2005. And then shortly after that, um, he said, your mind is constantly on the earthly and the tangible. You aren't walking in the blessing. You are waiting for the blessing to come to walk in it. And I went, whoa. You know how how that hit me between the eyes he says you aren't walking in the blessing you are waiting for the blessing to come to walk in it put your full weight on me and look to your heavenly provision um, you could tell I was having a little struggle there worrying about living in the street and being poor but God took care of that you know in a heartbeat um, and those were for me um there was a time when, and we're still really close, I had a dear friend who, um, her name's Mary Listman, and um, in um, 1986, the Lord put us together as prayer partners, prayer warriors together. We walked that little church in Opelika for years, the two of us. And um, the year before we moved, now think about this, we had been in Bedford eight years, we moved back to Opelika, we'd been there for seven years. You know, who in their right mind would pack up and move a thousand miles back to Bedford? I mean, you know, we could have gone anywhere in the whole United States, but who would have ever thought that God would just put you right back in the place you came from? It just doesn't happen that way, you know, unless it's a God thing, which we found out it was. But a year before any of this happened, um, this is what the Lord told me. Six years ago this July, I put you and Mary together and I anointed you and gave you a vision. Because of your faithfulness, with little, I'm telling you to look up and wait. I have a new vision and a new anointing. Um, simply trust me and obey me. You will be abundantly blessed. The past six years have only been a, provide, a proving ground for you. Now step out in me and see the great and wonderful things I will do. Don't worry. And this is the one that Mary and I didn't get. Don't worry or be distressed by long periods of time that you will not be together to pray. Um, she lived two blocks away for Pete's sake. We went to the same church. I saw her every day of the week. You know, This made no sense to me. Um, I have placed your spirits, um, I'm sorry, the bond that I have placed in your spirits is an infinite one. Even when you're apart, your spirits will pray as one. As one of you will be praying at two in the morning in, in one place, the other will also be praying at the same time in an incomplete oneness. One of you will be in the west and the other in the east, and yet your prayers will be in unison. Um, I call you together for a season of prayer. And then when I call you, come immediately. And don't let anything pull you away. Um, but that was a year before Bill got an offer to come back up to Headstrom. A year before. So I, from Alabama, I moved northeast. Mary um, sold her home and moved to California three years later. You know, and God... In, 
in um, 1990 said, one of you will be in the east and one of you will be in the west. You know, we had no idea what he was talking about, but there it was. You know? So you can't discount what God says to you when you're praying. Take notes. Mark it down. Um, it's really important. You know? Um, and you may not get it all right. Don't worry about it. But write everything down anyway. And keep it because the important things will continue to last. Things you could go back and read again and the anointing's still there. You know? Um, those words that I just read about you know, waiting for the blessing to come to walk in it as opposed to walking in the blessing before it comes. You know, that was huge. But I wouldn't have thought of that on my own. You know, that was a, that was a God thought that just popped into the back of my head. This is from Cindy Jacobs and she is called in, in the office of a prophet. And this is um, what she has to say about 2015. This is a year when God will give his people a chance to recalibrate in the midst of what will seem to be a whirlwind year. To recalibrate means to correct in mid-course, modify, amend, change, metamorphose, renovate, transform, or turn. When caught in a whirlwind, you may need to do all of the above. The good news is, is that God's going to release the anointing, wisdom, and supernatural ability needed to change your circumstances on a whole new level. Remember that God often speaks to us in unusual ways in the midst of shakings and whirlwinds, and sometimes it's a recalibration. God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. Um, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? The Living Bible interprets verse 2 like this. Why are you using your ignorance to deny my providence? Job's thoughts were out of alignment with God. There are many things that are out of proper alignment, but God is going to set them in proper order if you believe. This year, God will show you how to move from helplessness to hopefulness. This will be a year when God will hear your cry. A new grace to fight for healing in the face of an evil report will come upon God's people. In this violent, tumultuous season, the strategies for turning even the most desperate situations um, in your favor will be given to those who seek God's face. God is going to turn around your impossible situations. And then the next part of it's about rest. The number five represents grace in the Bible and a special grace will be given in the midst of whirlwinds. Avoid distractions that will take you away from your focus on the central things God is giving you to accomplish. Don't take on assignments that God will not hold you accountable for. Things that will hinder your ability to complete with excellence the assignments for which he will hold you accountable. That's so important. I'm going to read that again to you. Do not... Take on assignments that God will not hold you accountable for. Um, us retirees, I think, see it more than anybody else because they'll go, they're retired, they can do it. And the phone rings all the time. Are you interested in doing this? Are you interested in doing that? Will you, will you, will you? We just got the checklist today in the bulletin. Not saying anything about the checklist. But I am saying, do not take on any assignment that God is not going to hold you accountable for. If you're picking up every little thing in the church and it isn't God's plan for you, you're going to get yourself in a mess this year. Only take on those assignments, in other words, that God is calling you to. 
that you know he's going to hold you accountable for. Don't take anything else on. The th okay, for things that hinder your ability to compete with ex complete with excellence, the assignments for which he will hold you accountable. There will be swirling around you, but don't be pulled off your God-given assignments. Don't let the world pull at you telling you ought to do this, you ought to do that, you ought to do the other thing. Stay focused on what God's calling you to do, nothing more. And don't take the guilt of saying no. Thank you. Okay. In the Hebrew calendar, and this is so cool to me, this is the year 5775. Can you believe that? 5,775. That's the Hebrew year. The two fives represent double grace or a double proportion. This is a continuation of the double portion season from last year. Expect grace for fulfillment to complete and to finish all assignments. The, the two middle numbers are God's perfection. God's finishing. You know, seven. God's perfect completion. So you have a double perfect completion and double grace for that perfect completion. 5775. Is that awesome or what? Again, in the midst of the whirlwinds and the trial, worship is the key to your release. Worship. <coughs> okay, midnight turnarounds. The Lord will manifest as your kinsman redeemer at the midnight hour. This speaks of the restoration of generational inheritance. God will require us to stand firm in the midnight hour of changing seasons. You can't afford to stay in the old season. As mentioned above, the word recalibrates indicates metamorphosis. The picture is appropriate because it involves a struggle. Anytime you're going to make a big change in your life, it involves a struggle. For those of you who haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's probably a struggle going on there. But God says recalibrate. Go for it. Okay. <clears throat> the enemy's plans for you will boomerang. Um, Esther speaks of the turnaround from the plans of their enemy that God gave his people. Interestingly, in verse 1, the Hebraic word turned in the Strong's Concordance means to overturn to turn around, to transform, and reverse. This is a year of divine reversals. Number 15 in Scripture is linked to a victory and harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Unleavened Bread, and Purim all happen on the 15th day of the month. And for the church, we're now in the Jesus People movement that has been prophesied about for years. The great harvest of souls is now upon us and with it another great awakening. And there is coming an awakening in this country. But it's going to come out of a shaking and that's me saying it. This is the age when God is releasing a new wave of evangelists and evangelism into the church. <clears throat> Revivalists will once again go to the streets and move in great supernatural power. The Lord gave us the admonition that the role of the evangelist must be emphasized in the church. And with this will come a shifting in emphasis from preaching to a more social preaching a more social gospel to preaching a supernatural gospel. God's getting ready to make surprise visits in the church with his miracle working power. Coupled with this, a new move of compassion and acts of mercy will flow from the church, and the church will remember the poor, and the love of God will touch broken lives. Guard against deception in the church. 
Many will deceive themselves in order to follow the lust of their flesh. But the church will learn to wage spiritual warfare once again. And they will teach on this subject again from the pulpits of the nation. The church will shine as a light into the darkness of our culture on new levels. New prayer movements will arise and their prayers will cause a turning from casual Christianity. <coughs> um, I'll stop with that, but just, just to see. She's foretelling what's coming in 2015. These are the visions that the Lord has given her. Um, some of it may resonate, some of it may not. But what you do is you take what they say and just watch and see where it all comes out. Um, but I'm going to ask you to do this. Pray about you know, where you are in your life. Pray about what changes need to be made in your life. And... and um, then begin to just seek. Get hungry for things. Get, get a desire in yourself. Build yourself up to the place where you, you can't be satisfied ever. No matter how much you hunger and thirst for God, you will never, ever be satisfied. Um, when you get to that point, then you'll be on the crest of that wave. And the miracles will flow and they'll flow through you. And um, the anointing will flow and it'll flow through you. Um, and the other thing I want you to think about is, is prayer. Um, not just at home, but I'm talking about corporate prayer. We're going to talk more about it. Um, because I'm telling you, the church that prays is a church with power. The church that doesn't pray is a powerless church. Um, so it, it all starts on our knees. It all starts there. And um, what happens in the church beyond that, um, then God can do something with it. But a church that's impotent in prayer um, doesn't go very far. You and I are walking around on the prayers of saints in this place who have walked these halls and anointed these rooms for years before we ever thought about coming around. Um, the last group was Betty Markwood's group. and they, you know, I used to follow her around like a little puppy with my Bible and followed her and you know I was learning I was learning I was learning like a little sponge but she'd been walking these halls for years and praying and standing and believing God and when other people got mad and left she just kept standing and praying and walking and um, when I came back after a year she was still standing and praying and I just picked my Bible up and got right up under her and away we went again um, but that was just one or two people in the church can you imagine what would have been happening in this church if we'd had a prayer meetings in, instead of just Sunday go to meetings um, prayer meetings are the place that's when the Holy Spirit falls in those you do it's there it is there um, there's so much of it so we just but, but everybody needs to think about that you need to morphous you know, morph. Okay, let me just pray for you here. Father, I just, I, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for your promises. I'm so thankful um, for the grace that you have poured out in our lives and the grace that you intend to pour through us to other people. Lord, I just ask that you fill us up to overflowing, Lord, so that we have um, enough to give away to someone else, Lord. We 
ask that you use us this week to bless other people and um, school us, Lord. Educate us in, in how to move in, in the manifestations of grace, Lord. We, we ask it in Jesus' name and we thank you for the answers. Amen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.